Hello, welcome to Book Shambles, uh, a Christmas Eve Book Shambles extra today uh, with Robin and uh, the person that edited the Dead Funny and Dead Funny Encore uh, anthologies with Robin are uh, those uh, collections of horror stories by comedians. Uh, Johnny Maines is with Robin for this episode. We hope you enjoy that. Thanks to everyone who came to the Compendium show at Hammersmith Apollo and Nine Lessons and Carols for Curious People, both in Salford and London. It was great to see lots of you there. Uh, We raised lots of money for our charities at those shows. We'll have an episode of Book Shambles out uh, next week, next Thursday, which will feature some interviews we did backstage at some of those shows. And once we're into the new year, we will be back into Book Shambles Normal with Robin and Josie and occasional guest co-hosts while Josie is on tour. Thanks to all our Patreon supporters. Patreon.com slash Book Shambles is where you can go to pledge your support for the show. And so have a Merry Christmas and a Happy Holidays, whatever you are doing this week. We hope it is full of joy and books. And now here is Robin and Johnny. This is, uh, hello, welcome to a Book Shambles Extra, and this one is, because I'm currently on tour, uh, going around uh, the UK now, uh, having finished off with Brian Cox in Iceland, where we ended up on a glacier, and neither of us killed the other, even though it was the perfect kind of uh, atmosphere and the perfect location if you are going to end a tour uh, with a murder, do it in uh, the uh, the frozen edges of Iceland, but we actually Ooh, got on slipped. fine. Yeah, <laughs> we, we, we all got on fine, so, uh, so there was uh, no murder whatsoever whatsoever on the uh, on the glacier and now I'm in Plymouth uh, which is uh, uh, glacier free and uh, I'm currently doing my Chaos of Delight tour. I happen to be in Plymouth with my friend Johnny Maines who uh, I put together two horror anthologies with uh, Dead Funny and Dead Funny Encore which mixed up stories, new stories by people like uh, Stuart Lee and Alan Moore and Charlie Higson and Reese Shearsmith and Izzy Sutty and Alice Lowe and Josie Long and uh, many others and um yeah, Sarah we're going to just Sarah right, Pascoe's in there Katie as well. Brand. Yeah, there's yeah. Uh, uh, Katie Brand, uh, Matthew Holness. There were a lot of fun to do. Hopefully, one day we'll do another one as well. Um, but he's all, he's not only a huge collector of uh, I suppose the call genre books, aren't they? Uh, which is uh, a terrible way, of course, of, of, of belittling uh, the horror genre. Um, also, uh, an author himself and archivist of I mean you did one of the very interesting books which is the Sorcerer's uh, book which you worked with uh, John Burke who was the uh, not, who also John Burke did some of the he did at least one of the Hammer horror film omnibuses didn't he he did two of them he did both so, of them yeah he did uh, one two so it was uh, The Gorgon uh, Curse of Frankenstein uh, yeah Dracula Prince of Darkness was in there uh, the Plague of Zombies as well he wrote the uh, the tie into that so they're like, almost like an anthology yeah, yeah. I think I think I've got stories, yeah I think yeah. I've got one and two which always used to be advertised in the back of the uh, House of Hammer magazine, one of my favourite magazines, the, the magazine where you didn't realise that when you actually did see the Hammer films, they would have budgetary restrictions that meant they didn't look as good as the comic strip version, which could, of course could go anywhere it wanted. But yeah, the uh, the Sorcerer's book was interesting because uh, John uh, wrote the original screenplay for the Sorcerer's, directed by Michael Reeves, uh, and. John never thought... John didn't get the credit for the uh, screenplay uh, when he went to the cinema to watch it. 
he sat down at just uh, based on an idea by Jonathan Burke, which was his uh, pen name back then. And the screenplay was written by uh, Michael Reeves and Tom Baker, not the Doctor Who one. So that had been a bugbear of his. And the reason why he didn't get the credit is because Boris Karloff wanted a more sympathetic ending to the film where he was, you know, he would meet a noble death. So uh, Michael Reeves drafted in his friend uh, Tom Baker and they just hastily rewrote the ending but then didn't tell John. Uh, after John died, uh, I worked with uh, Gene to get the original screenplay out and PS Publishing uh, published it. And it's a brilliant book. It's... Uh, you know, there were th three mesmerists in the original screenplay and they didn't use uh, machines, they used a, a potion and it kind of, kind of foreshowed or foreshadowed what the CIA were going to be doing in, in America, like, or were doing in America at that time by, you know, testing subjects and sending them out into the, the unknown and they sometimes wouldn't even know that they'd be dozed up just to see what would happen to them and... Uh, Matthew stuff similar to the John Ronson yeah, yeah. John Ronson Operation Chaos yeah, by Matthew and, uh, Matthew Sweet did that yeah. book as well so uh, and obviously Stephen King's Firestarter <coughs> um, followed that up uh, so with uh, well, the film that we were talking about yesterday uh, so uh, testing subjects with LSD and then that would give them superpowers and all that kind of stuff that was based on Stephen King's absolute you know sickness at what his own government were doing to its People, yes, mm. yeah. So yeah, so that was a good book. Um, Late night horror. I, I've Alan Moore, who has a tremendous recall, uh, once told me exactly his memories of that episode, and I've realised that, like many of those archive things, it's much better that I have in my head. Uh, uh, someone else, the the eyewitness account again, a bit like the comic strip versions of the the Hammer movies. The eyewitness account retold by the kind of fireside will probably be better than should I ever ultimately see the low budget version of uh, Ring of the Changes. <laughs> so, what did he say? He just he, he said the bit that he particularly remembered. For those of you who don't know the Robert Aikman story, it's, it's a uh, the spoiler alerts, but it's a very short story. So basically, it's about a couple who go to a village and uh, there's something not quite right about it, and they don't realise they're basically they're coming to stay in this kind of uh, in this inn uh, on the night, which is the night where the dead come back to life, the one night of the year where the dead come back from the graves. And uh, then there's this build-up where they realise they're coming to their room, they're coming to the room, and then the uh, the, the man falls unconscious. And we don't know what happens there. Blackout. This is the animal. And then at the, the final scene is the car is driving away. Both of them are there. They both survived the night. And all the locals are digging the graves, re-digging the graves and putting them back in. And Alan says he particularly remembers that the, the husband looks tremendously haunted. And the wife has an almost wistful look, as if something happened with the dead. And, and as, as he explained that to me, I thought, yeah, this is, I've now got that running through my head, and I think that will be better than... So some of the things Talking Pictures TV puts on, where I think, oh, yeah, I loved that as a kid. And it's so hard to work out. You can't really work out. So most things, I think, uh, of, of our childhood are best left in our memory. In, in the same way, I remember going back to uh, when I was doing a gig in, uh, uh, near Greenham Common, and I was very early to the art centre, and I thought, well, my grandma lived around here. I, I wonder if her house is still there. And I wandered around this lane, and I saw the house, 
And of course, it was so changed. And, I'd be, and these people went, who are you? What do you want? I wouldn't have crossed the gate. I went, oh, sorry, it's just my grandma used to live here in Dell Cottage, that's all. Oh, really? And I told them enough evidence. But they were, they were very rude and unpleasant people, which is probably what she'd have wanted because she often was. And uh, But of course, what I'd done was remove the fact, remove that preposterous hope that maybe those things all exist. Like my other gran, I sometimes think where she lived in Bushy Heath, if I went back to that maisonette, it would all be intact. Everything would be there. The sugar bowl with the strange doily over it. But of course, that's long gone. Yeah. But having talking pictures, it's amazing how everybody has got onto talking pictures so much and how much of a cult it's become overnight, but how cherished and loved. And uh, it gets. I was talking to somebody who worked in a dementia hospital. And it's very popular in this place in this place because they just have that on all the time and everybody loves it and some might remember some of the episodes. You know, it's uh, it's a well, it takes to cultural a and time. social tool. So yeah. yeah. It's fascinating. Um uh, now, uh let's go through some of your books first of all. In fact what I was gonna start with was Last time I was down here, you gave me a, a brilliant book by uh, a friend of yours, uh, which is all about Tommy. And his, I remember his, his Twitter name, Kit Gonzo. But his Kit actual, Power. Kit Power. It's a fantastic book. It's, 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 it's a, there's, there's a series that, that's been done where they, uh, each one is just about one particular horror book. There's, a, there's, there's one all about, uh, for instance, Martin, the George A. Romero, the brilliant um, vampire film by George A. Romero. Uh, they're, they're quite similar to, in, in some ways, some of them, there's a similarity between the Martin one, in particular Jeff Dyer's book, all about um, Stalker, and then he's gone on to do a book all about Where Eagles Dare, which is almost just scene by scene, mm-hmm. watching and what that person experiences as they watch. And that one's very beautifully written. There's a fantastic one about Deathline, uh, which the first half of the book is uh, a fiction piece imagining Donald Pleasance. I the, really the, do have to read that. I, really I thought it was yeah. really good, the Deathline version. And uh, and they've, they've done various... And, and this one by, by Kit is all about Tommy. Um, they're, they're beautifully done. They really are for not necessarily horror obsessive. Any anyone I think who who loves cinema and sometimes some of the strange things that come out of low budget cinema. Mm. Now you were originally working on a project for them, is that yeah, right? But so, it's now kind of. But this is Todd Browning's Freaks. Yeah, I can't so, remember what age yeah. I was when I first saw it. What was it that? Uh, it was certainly for, for you, like me, the horror film books, there would be those pictures very often of Olga, the final shot of Olga, the publicity shot of that. It's the, um, all well, of the it was table, the, everyone yeah. sat around the table. Well, it was the shot for me in, is it the Alan Frank book upstairs of them, uh, round the bearded lady's yeah. bed when uh, she's given birth. And that was the photo. I didn't see the film until I was like 17, 18 when it came out on video. Uh, and then I watched the the film, and I was just, at, I was absolutely staggered at such an amazing portrayal of disability on screen, and treating disabled people as normal people, mm. you know, just uh, accepting them for their disability, even though it is an exploitation film and it is about somebody who wants to exploit a disabled person and get their money. But the broader humanity around the film and about family and how family always stick together and, you know, you will do anything to protect your family, no, no, no matter what. And that, and because I was... And then I lost my dad at 19 and 
my sense of fa- I just didn't have a sense of family at all. I kind of used to go on these magical whimsies, thinking that I was part of the travelling circus with them. And I would just daydream that I was... And I would watch Freaks over and over and over again. And and now it's been... I've been writing it for about five years, and I've probably still got a few years to go. Um, because it is just a very, very, very complex thing you have... You know, you've got people who were transient and moved about all their life and they had disabilities as well. So trying to track down any information on them is next to impossible unless they were high profile, like the, the Hilton uh, Siamese twins, who, you know, were, you know, after Freaks, they had another film made, uh, Chain for Life, but then they, uh, their manager ran off and they were left uh, to become uh, shopkeepers uh, in a shop and then one of them died in, uh, of a f- pneumonia, and then the other one lay there for three or four days until she died. Uh, she didn't want to... And the thing is, they were only joined together at the hip, and it wasn't bone fusion or anything, it was only a bit of skin. So they could have quite easily wow. have been separated, and they always chose not to. So, so is that so, yeah. also... I mean, the chose not to, was that also possibly because of the fact that financially, maybe the parents, etc., that there was well, a thing Well, they were, that, that they, they could... their parents sold them to, uh, let me get my information right. Yeah, the parents sold them when they were very young. Uh, and then that's when, you know, they kind of went across to America and did all the, 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 the shows and stuff. And, but yeah, but then you've got, all the actors, um, so Olga Bak- Baklanova, whose father was killed uh, during all the Russian, you know, kind of Tsarist's time and all that, the, the uprising, the Russian really? uprising. So, uh, so, and all that kind of stuff was really interesting to find out. I managed to track down the school that she went to and, and then going onto all these strange Russian forum websites about buildings that were totaled by Stalin. It's just, you know, opening up all of these... Uh, uh, other bits of history and then um, yeah so the more I delve into it and the more I you know kind of, and it's consumed me you know working on this because I'm doing biographies for not only the actors but the producers all the sound people and then uh, um, I've found uh, I've found two different working versions of the script I've since discovered in the Oscars library so the, the motion picture library another three versions of the script. So I've got somebody uh, who at this moment in time is going in day after day just typing it out for me because they're not allowed to take photographs, they're not allowed to take photocopies. So he's doing that. Uh, So hopefully in about maybe three or four months I'll have all those other scripts and then there's uh, synopsis. So we're going to publish all of that we're going to publish the original story that was based on spurs that came out in the munsey magazine uh and yeah and then i'm good i'm breaking down the film scene by scene uh and trying to kind of get into the head of the director you know shots establishing shots uh but i've got managed to track down photographs that have uh, the scene, uh, what scene they, they, these were from, this and it's a, just, a, yeah. Oh, but is it more important that you write this 
than anyone ultimately reads it, if you see what I mean, which I don't mean in a salty way. I mean the fact that what you are doing through this... I'm only writing it for myself. Yeah, that's what I mean, that, that yeah. bit where you go, this, even if it never... I think that moment in Wonder Boys where he's yeah. been writing that novel, but, yeah. you know, that, but to, that, to explore this, to explore this thing that you had such an attachment yeah. to, especially after a loss, yeah. um, you need to make sure that you have no unfinished business with yeah. this film. Yeah, and so and then I think you know once I finish it and read it and happy with it, then I'll finally probably be able to say goodbye to uh, well, not to the film. I don't think I'll ever be finished with the film, but to that part of my life where uh, you know uh, things happened and I became a troubled soul uh, and quite a challenging young man. Uh, but yeah, so. And it's Does it mean book. you say goodbye to freaks and hello to the mutations? The Jack Cardiff, uh, <laughs> for those who don't yeah, know, yeah. that's a, a <coughs> Donald Pleasant's uh, mad scientist movie with Tom Baker with the, uh, the scarf, basically almost exactly the same scarf he'd wear as Doc 2, very similar look and floppy hat. Um, and uh, that's similar about a circus sideshow, but certainly has a great level of exploitation uh, to it. Jack Cardiff, one of the great cinematographers. Oh, God, um, yeah. And uh, it's a, it's all about Donald Pleasance plays a scientist who's trying to splice human DNA with uh, plant DNA so that uh, we can photosynthesize to survive the uh, oncoming food shortages. Mm. And unfortunately, what he ends up making is all manner of carroty failures. Uh, it's kind of an, an intriguing film. The um, But what's also on, on Fritz, something that I find interesting about that film is that Todd Browning's Dracula, <laughs> I... I Find very hard watch. Oh it, well, the the, trim... the Spanish version is ten times yeah. better, <laughs> and which you can get, I think, still on the DVD. Yeah. I think yeah. there is a version of the Universal DVD where you yeah. get the Spanish version with a different actor, yeah. whatever. But it, Todd Browning's, it very much feels like a stage play, and it yeah. is a filming of the stage yeah. play, really. Um, whereas Freaks is a very, you know, in terms of it, its uh, cinematic kind of chops, <laughs> and in terms of of the cinematography as well. In terms of it, it looks... it's almost like a documentary as well. Mm. It has a, it has, it's a very organic, very organic feel. But I think that's because of the unpredictability and the chaotic nature of the ensemble that that he managed to grab together. But it also feels like when you watch some of it, you know, when, uh, you know, just that scene round the, 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 the table, you know, when they're just getting on with things and schlitzies, you know, having fun and that. It's just, you know, it's just like documenting the, the lives of the disabled, which I don't think had ever been done. You know, I, I would say Hunchback of Notre Dame to a certain way would maybe have opened people's minds up, you know, Lon Chaney to to uh, disability. Frankenstein, for me, I think was the main one mm. uh, about disability. I still think it's one of the greatest disability films ever made. And, uh, no, it's just about a, a bloke made up, you know, of dead body parts. But it is about, yeah, I just see the film as, you know, a disabled child, you know, trying to, unable to really articulate, rejected by yeah, the, rejected the parents, by the parents and, yeah. you know, and uh, and I will fight for that for, for as long as I live. But Todd Browning, I've managed, you know, there's a really good book by on Todd Browning by uh, David J. Skull, but I've managed to find a few bits and bobs that weren't in that book, 
and um, and then other bits like Todd Browning afterwards with Johnny Eck, the guy uh, with no legs, and mm. he just walking his hands. Uh, Todd Browning was going to do a film with Johnny Eck uh, and his brother after Freaks, where uh, Johnny Eck's brother was going to play a mad professor doing uh, experiments on Johnny Eck. But because Freaks absolutely destroyed uh, Browning's career after that. Uh, like that, that, that was made, yeah, Powell, for Michael Powell, yeah. yeah. But I've found out stuff that Todd Robbins and Todd Browning never met, even though, or, or never didn't even have any communication with each other. And yeah, it's yeah. The more yeah, I'm just utterly obsessed, and sometimes I can't see the wood for for the trees, and I need to like you know take maybe months off at a time just to, you know, kind of stand away away from it just to be able to get myself a sense of perspective. Because sometimes I think it is the most driest, boring and shittest book that will ever be written. Well, that's, that's one of the hard things, isn't it? In a lot of kind of stuff which is dealing with popular culture is certainly in academia, what you see is suddenly a use of, of, of words which obfuscate all of the kind of joy Mm-hmm. So that's the bit, isn't it? You have yeah. to. I, I always go back to that bit in the fly, uh, the David Cronenberg fly, where he can't work out what's wrong with the uh, with the matter transporter, and they put a piece of steak in and they transport it, and then she's tasting it. Uh, Gina Davis is tasting it, and she goes, "Oh, oh, oh there's something synthetic," and it's like the joy <laughs> of you know Cronenberg, of course, always writes it, you know about the flesh, yeah. long live the new flesh, uh, all of that stuff, and that's the bit. And that's what I think in the writing about popular culture, writing about things which people approach because they adore that mm-hmm. thing and yeah. going, have you made sure you haven't lost the joy? Yeah, and this? it's all about different, you know, and I, and I worry about different people's reactions to my reaction to the film. You know, so do I love the film too much? You know, is my... That's true, you yeah, do. Yeah. I think anyone listening to the previous 10 minutes knows that if you're going to put that amount of time, yeah. that amount of research yeah. into it, that... Most people, I mean, is, most, that, most is people, that a mad love? But it's a mad. Do you know I've never seen Mad Love? By I've the got way. it upstairs. The, uh, I can take oh, it. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, the, uh, yeah. the 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 Peter Laurie and uh, yeah. Colin Clive movie. For those who don't know, you will love it. Sometimes you called, will absolutely yeah, love it. Yeah, it is. It is Peter Laurie. But. As well as we're going to move on from Freaks because that book's not available yet and no, people, no. It may never be available as people have found out. At you, some you, point, go, go on to. But but if I die, will you finish it for me? I don't know if I can ever... I, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll make sure it has a finish. Fair enough. I don't yeah. know if I'll finish it for you. I'll finish it for me. I might not Fair finish enough. it for uh, you. No problem, yeah. the, um, you're all, I mean, you've been a great... We'll, we'll get back to some of your other books as well, but you're a fantastic book collector as well. And uh, and I'm always... When you show me the different kind of things that you've got and the uh, uh, this this one here, Anthony Burgess, for instance, this is... Uh, you have a first edition of the Pan Books um, Clockwork Orange. Yeah. And uh, where on the back you see a different way that he covered up for the fact that he was bald with a more wavy <laughs> thing. But what... I first read that book, not not that version, but the penguin one with that lovely classic cover. The very first night I tried mushrooms, and that was the first night I listened to Pink Floyd. The first night I had mushrooms, and the first night I read Clockwork Orange. Those three things collided on the same night and I don't think I've ever been the same again and I've only read that book once or twice I'm, I'm more of a fan of the film even though I saw the film second read the film there, there's an argument you know if you read the film first do you uh, read the book first do you prefer the book over the film 
I prefer the film to the book. Uh, I read the the book first. Yeah. And, um, <coughs> I've seen the film more than I've read reread the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you prefer the film? I think so, but I think yeah. it's, I think Malcolm McDowell is such a wonderful yeah. uh, screen presence in that. I think everyone else who's uh, in that as well, Warren yeah. Clark, and uh, there's there's Anthony Sharp. He's the uh, um, guy in the bit. But I think and also I the think, angles yeah. of it and the it, it has it's such a and also but for our generation. Mm-hmm. It was a, it was a, a secret w- film. Yeah, it, it was, was a film like a that you know, nasty, someone so, yeah. would go, oh, my friend went to Amsterdam yeah. and they brought back brought this back VHS a, copy. Some may say it's the greatest book about teenagers ever. I just read it as a teenager and didn't get on with it because of that. I didn't find the I didn't find the language in it a problem. You know, it has, you know, bastardizations and reworkings of words. I, didn't, I, I got onto that quite easily, but I just found, I don't know, there was something about it that didn't, that wasn't true, if I can be really arsy and pretentious. I just, I've always find it interesting saying before something becomes legendary, what was the first blurb that someone from Pan came up with? Horror show! Big orange letters. That's the adjective which Alex, the delinquent teenage villain of the piece, would use to describe a clockwork orange. You, we are sure, will find it one of the most unusual and unforgettable novels you've read. The extreme in wickedness, social satire, abundant racy humour, all are here in this story of London in the none too distant future, a city terrorised at night by prowling toughs. So you know that's a, a that's a that's a beautiful edition there, Pam. One. Somebody also, of course, we uh, books on witchcraft. Yeah. I've, I've lost my copy of this. This is uh, living witchcraft here. This is uh, Australian again, uh, publisher. Yeah. The uh, what exactly is witchcraft? There are so many varied and conflicting opinions on the subject. So many versions of its meaning. So many forms that it takes. It is impossible to give a clear and unbiased definition of this strange and esoteric cult that has survived for centuries. The uh, I'm, I'm fascinated with some of the the rare books that that, that you've got because for, for a while you were selling these as well yeah and to fund your needs to uh, go to uh, Stalinist Russia in a time machine yeah, to a, investigate yeah, your freaks yeah. but but I mean this one for instance King of the Witches by June Johns banned books illustrated yeah. and we know what that means of course it's it's, it's got basically some, Lots some of the people na- naturists <laughs> on the front in, in in quite poor quality it's and it's called the World of Alex Sanders. So, Alexander's the most powerful white witch in Europe, lays bare the true rites and ceremonies of his craft. So, June Johns wrote it, but it's actually about Alexander. Yeah. So, tell me a little bit about this this uh, fascinating book of witchcraft. Uh, I just picked this up uh, in Hale, in, Pen- in Cornwall, about five, six years ago, and it was like 50 pence. And I picked it up, and I think I got two pages into it and went, this is really shit, and decided to sell it. But I've never been able to sell it ever since. So I don't really know anything about Alexander. Well, if anyone's I've, after it, it is yeah. worth £50, and you can get in contact with our Cosmic Shambles. June Jones is King of the Witches. <laughs> Let's sell a few more of your books that you... Uh... But yes, no, the thing is, is, a lot of the books that I do have, I've not read, yeah. and I have no wish to read them, because they're just not my taste. Other ones I have read and are loath to let go, or you know, some of them I, I do keep. Uh, but yeah, it's just. But that that book, I mean, there is. I had I had about. well I had I had five thousand paperbacks up until a few years ago, and I just had a bit of a. I felt that I was in a prison of books. I, you you were in my office when I had all yeah. those books 
bookshelves all over the fucking place, stacked high. And I just, you know, because I was ill, I just felt that I built a, like another a prison cell of my own making. And so I went to a charity shop with bags and bags and bags and bags of books, about 20 trips, just paperbacks, just threw them away. And it was the most cleansing, freeing thing I have ever done in my life. I sold uh, the rarer ones, so I sold all the rare ones. Yeah, the pair, I don't know, and I've only bought, since then, I've only bought about 10 books in about two years. I find the notion of owning a lot of Could you write all this down, this method, send it to my wife, because I know that she would be over the moon if I could get rid of the... I I live very much in a prison of books, and and I can't stop, and I keep going. And and the joy when you buy something and then go, oh my... You know, there is that old line by Desmond Morris where I think he said, you know, it's it's, for for, for the bibliophile, finding a rare book is like that moment on a hunt where you'd have killed a gazelle and dragged it back to the cave. And, you know, the other day where... I was there's a, a little kind of just a load of boxes of books which are left out near the office where I work and it's like put 50p in the slot for a book and I, there was a load of home freezing books there that had just been stuck there and I, there was just one hardback I thought well, I'll just have a little look at that and it was an Einstein book that Einstein yeah. wrote explaining uh, the um, uh, general uh, general relativity and I thought oh actually I've got a copy I think of this anyway just a, a normal a folio version but I'll get this in because it's quite a nice thing yeah. and then I happened a couple of days later just to look it up. And the cheapest I could find was 300 quid. And there is a sensation where you go, the gazelle, <laughs> feast yeah. everyone well, on my... I found uh, a copy of King's Amos's The Green Man, first edition, for like 20 pence. Uh, you know, just in a kind of jumble shop that I go to. And I hummed and hawed over a 20 pence book, whether I should buy it or not. I was like, well, you know, it's worth a lot, but Johnny, you don't buy books anymore. Yeah, but it's the green man. Is it? You know, it's, yeah, go on, give it a shot. And I just went right. Fuck it, just buy it. Let's let's do it. So I picked it up, and then got home and instantly regretted it. I said, like, Why have I bought this? You know, it's just another. But how much photocopying for freaks could you buy with that if you sell? Yeah, it well, yeah, 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 one page. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Oh no, if I sold the book, uh, I don't know. Maybe I could get maybe forty, fifty quid for it. Yeah, so for first then, edition. So yeah, but and then that book finances your book. I mean, yeah. I, I never buy to, to to sell, but I yeah. do sometimes say to my wife, just so you know, when I do die under a pile of books, probably yeah. possibly pushed by you, uh, mm-hmm. the uh, either oh that, no, the bookcase fell. Yeah. Either that on the, the floor or the, collapsed. The mat on that highly yeah. polished floor, of course, <laughs> that she's been working on, and. Uh, but I do, I mean, I do, I, I think some of these I wouldn't ever want to, I mean, like, like you said, King of the Witches is a book that I look at with kind of envy and awe, but I realise it's just the cover and it's the idea, like so many of those kind of, of cheap and pulpy yeah, yeah, books, yeah, yeah. but it's also, it's the idea of what lies within. Mm-hmm. And and actually, again, that Schrodinger book thing, which is it is always best yeah. not to. I mean, some of the ones that you, you've got some in Seminoid, which is a, a, a lovely for. I mean, it seemed that yeah, you know, even the lowest budget films had a film tie-in novel yeah. at that point. In Seminoid is a, a film by Norman J. Warren, but in Seminoid, it's just a lovely thing to have. This was kind of an alien esque film mm-hmm. uh, with Judy Geeson, uh and yeah, and it was a way to you know kind of. Still enjoy and love a film before the before video came out. Really. You know mm. that that was that that was the only and those like kind of weird. You know, the the alien book, uh, the illustrated alien cartoon. Uh, yeah, book, I love that know? book. Uh, the, those were the only ways that you could be fan. You know, kind of fans and 
get yeah, Brian Cox is a huge fan of that. But we so, saw yeah. it in, in some shop when we were, we were on tour, and we both went, "Oh, the Proustian Rush of the <laughs> Alien cartoon." <laughs> now, now this one fascinates me because this, this one is is five hundred quid. If, yeah. if and and it is it's called the the House of Ruby Wogan by Norman Gear for Henry, unhappy at school and abrupt because of his awkwardness, growing up as a frustrated artist in a family of engineers, to leave home meant to step into darkness, and at the same time, the only hopeful ray of light. But again, another book I've not read, and the only reason that it's marked up at five hundred pounds is because I found other copies online that were much more expensive. It's fifties, almost. Yeah, yeah, digits. Sorry, fifties. But the the most rarest one is Junkie by Burroughs. Yeah, Uh, and a copy of that paperback goes for twelve hundred, sometimes fifteen hundred, just for paperback. And there was there was a, a program about. A documentary about a guy that went all over the country finding books for people. Can't remember what it was about, but there was this bit where uh, they were throwing loads of books into a fire or something, and one of them was the Digit Junkie. And just to, like, oh, rare book, be burnt forever, oh, God. And, yeah, that made me... Well, that is the miserable thing, isn't it? The miserable thing when you hear about the way that old books were just used for when they were making motorways and just ballast. Yeah, ballast uh, and stuff. But, you know, it's like, I love, I I still love the thrill of the chase going into a bookshop, Uh, even now having to learn to walk away. Uh, going into and going ah there's one that's worth quite a bit and there's another one that's worth I, I still love that I love being able to it's almost like a secret knowledge that is only shared by a select few people that you can go into a shop and well people might pick up a Maeve Binch or a bloody Dan Brown it's not sniffing it's a bit sniffy alright it's extremely sniffy but being able to like kind of just go yeah if I wanted you, I could, you know, kind of buy you and then make a bit of cash. See, my thing that I like is I don't yeah. have that knowledge. Yeah. So mine is entirely based on a kind of... They're always books that I want. Yeah. And then I base it on instinct. Like yeah. a book that you've got as well. When I was down in Ramsgate and I was in a shop and there was a hardback Heathcote Williams Whale Nation. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought, well, actually, I've got that in paperback. And I thought it would be nice to have it. It's only £1.50. And then I yeah. opened it and it was signed by Heathcote Williams with a lovely kind of description in yeah. it as well. And there was a book all about the art of never-ending story. Yeah. Again, I thought, oh, it would just be a fun book to have. And then yeah. you suddenly go, oh, it's highly... So it's the, what I like is I've highly always wanted the book. book yeah. And then the revelation is, yeah. oh, and now I, uh, the sad revelation is... Now I can't ever get rid of it because it becomes irreplaceable. Yeah, that's it, yeah. And thus, the foul bibliophile stench and teetering uh, stacks of... Uh, well, but then that's, you know, that that was... When I was going to the charity shop, I was giving away books. You know, some of them were worth several hundreds. And I was just going, if I don't do it, I'm just going to be shackled forever to yeah. it. Bump. And if I find it again... Good. You know, the thing is, I could build up another collection again if I wanted to. You know, I've got the knowledge. I've still got, you know, the heart and the passion and the drive to do it. I'm just waylaid with the freaks. And that's where all that passion is going into. So, yeah, but that is the the very nature of being obsessive and compulsive with something. You know, same same with, you know, kind of uh, finding short stories that have not been published for, re, you know, printed for 100 years. Well, that's fantastic. The collection, you know, the, the one you did in the 19th century, which yeah. we talked about briefly before, but tell us yeah. a little bit about so that. So I did two books. Available at the, uh, the first one was A Suggestion of Ghosts, and the second one was An Obscurity of Ghosts. 
Supernatural Tales by Women from like the 1850s to 1901, 1903. Uh, and they were just... Uh, short stories by women that had never been reprinted or had been so very rarely reprinted since their first uh, appearance in either rare magazines or um, rare magazines or kind of provincial newspapers. So, and it was also discovering that it wasn't just posh ladies who wrote. You know, there were, you know, kind of housewives or, you know, businesswomen, early businesswomen, uh, writing short stories and getting printed in provincial newspapers, which was absolutely revelatory to me. I just didn't know this happened. I but love things like, not exactly a ghost story, that's by yeah. Mrs Molesworth, a chestnutting ghost, chestnutting ghost by Margaret yeah. Barringer. Yeah, they're lovely. But then, then, the Room with the Stair. But yes. then the, the, this one here right at the end, uh, The Social Sociable Ghost, is a novel, a full novel that I put in the book. And it is one of the greatest novels I have ever read about the the, the description of ghosts and how uh, a society of ghosts, how they live, how they interact with each other, how they interact with the, uh, the living. And this book, nobody knows about. And I read it and I just went, why does nobody know about this? So, you know... It was, a, it was a risk for me to put a whole novel in a book of short stories because people would go, oh, you just couldn't find any more short stories, so they just threw a novel into the but, you have a, but the book itself, but, is, is even without that, it would still be as long as most yeah, anthologies. Yeah. Yeah, so, so that edition is, is a... It was just, it was just uh, you know, it's an import, I think it's a very, very, very important and amazing, you know, kind of chapter in the history of ghost literature that has been completely overlooked and is just one of the most beautiful and the the full title of the book is called the sociable ghost being the adventures of a reporter who is invited by the sociable ghost to a grand banquet ball and convention under the ground of the old trinity chapel a true tale of the things he saw and did not see while he was not there that is the complete title and it was written by uh, Olive Harper who in real life was uh, Mrs Helen uh, Burrell Gibson de Apri and she did a book on the Crippen case with another long title and it was called <laughs> Caught in Mid-Ocean a thrilling tale founded on the greatest murder of the century the famous Crippen case in which for the first time the wireless telegraph was used for the capture of a criminal that was on the front cover of the book. That's how it was sold with that title. So, so yes, right. it's great. But I've done a third book, which is coming out in, uh, in the Derby uh, Ghost Festival, which I'm the keynote speaker at. Okay. But, uh, yeah, I'm doing a book called uh, Remember the Dead at Halloween and Christmas, and it's Halloween uh, stories and uh, Christmas stories that have not been reprinted since we were first published. And I found uh, Edith Nesbitt ghost story. You, you and see, the thing is, I found an Edith Nesbitt ghost story. I found an Algernon Blackwood ghost story that's never that was not known about. Uh, I found a Daphne du Maurier uh, ghost story, that, uh, one of her very first uh, horror stories that has not been picked up by bibliographers or biographers. So I, I think we're in the last true golden age of finding these stories mm. because more and more uh, libraries and archives are digitizing what they have and putting it up online for you know idiots you know it's an idiot proof thing to do going in it's just very painstaking it can be expensive 
uh, you know, kind of finding these things and time expensive as well. Like all these stories were typed out by hand by myself from their original newspaper, you know, source. So, um, so, so yeah, but I find it very, a uh, very important thing to do. Not, not for, for my daughter as well. I just find it a thing where, you know, if she has an interest in what I do, and I hope she does to some extent, you know, the, the, all the stuff that she'll read, mainly anthologies, are ghost stories by men. You know, the M.R. James and all, all that kind of rubbish. Uh, not, not, not no, saying rubbish, that. I yeah, know you know what I mean. Yeah. You know, it's just the same stories and the same books by those same men. And uh, it'd just be good to go, look, no, women were doing this and sometimes much better at it you know so that's why I'm doing that so yes we'll just rattle through the last because we're nearly out of time and uh, your novel uh, A Distasteful Horror Story yes uh, which (coughs) is uh, one of those lovely books which is it is for fans of horror movies people who've had that similar experience of sometimes patching together their world through different moments yeah when you are the outsider kid and all that kind of thing this is uh, you said it's the only novel you're going to do yeah I'm not going to write another novel everything that I have to say about my love of horror what I think the horror genre is uh, the, the people who frequent it, who work in it, who are fans of it, you know I everything I need to say about my writing you know, what I, you know, kind of think about myself everything about myself is in uh, in this book, obviously I'm not a serial killer, um, that you know of no. <laughs> but I, I, I don't know, I wrote this book uh, when I was ill, I, I had a breakdown and I wrote the book uh, bef- just before my first session with a therapist. And as I was going through my therapy, I was writing this at the same time. So kind of the things that I was uh, you know, going through, I was exploring through my writing. So I was going through the, the, the double, you know, the, the, the double kind of whammy of being able to sick this stuff out because I had a really horrible relationship with my mother and my dad died when I was 19 I got into drugs I got into crime Uh, but my love of horror was the one thing that kind of got me through that you know uh, on my 18th birthday I was in an underground car park in France uh, outside Nice with a bottle of red wine, a baguette, a sleeping bag and a copy of Stephen King's Pet Cemetery, uh, the New English Library one with the uh, the green uh, neon writing in church that can the front cover. And, you know, so my love of horror has always been, you know, kind of that one thing that, you know, no matter how horrible my life got, I always had a book where somebody's life was all that much more horrible. And, uh, you know, uh, and there was always hope for me at the end of it. Well, might not be. So, so yeah. Uh, and also, I just wanted to see if I could tell a story that didn't start out horrific and was quite funny, but then got progressively nastier and more horrible and horrible. And then... I'm not going to say what I do in the ending, but then I wanted to like kind of take the piss out of the reader for reading it in the first place. But like, why did you read this for, you idiot? Uh, with a, a final page, uh, which is a newspaper cutting right at the end of the book. Uh, so so yeah, so I, I don't know. I, I was just a to see if I could write a novel. I've done it. 
Uh, and I'm very, very proud of it. I don't think it's very well written. Uh, I just, I think it's, I think it's a, 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 having read clunky books from yeah. when I used to do the Bad Book Club, it's not a clunky book. It yeah. flows, and it's uh, there's there's no shame in that. There a couple uh, of others I'll just mention in your work: uh, the mask and other stories where you collect together some of the um, stories of Herbert von Thal, yeah. who for many people is is best known as the uh, the, the editor it's curator the of the Pambook of Horror Stories. Uh, you also brought out another you know, a reprinted. There was a, a Pambook of Horror Stories, the, the first ever one, yeah. which includes the wonderful uh, Raspberry Jam yeah. in it, which Angus is a, Wilson, Angus Wilson, yeah. very spooky story, um, and. Uh, you also wrote a book about Herbert von Thal as well, Lest You Should Suffer Nightmares. So, yeah. we'll stick all these up online yeah. so you can see them. Frightfully cosy and mild stories for nervous types. That was as my well. second book of short stories. Uh, so, my first book of short stories was called With Deepest Sympathy, and uh, a reviewer who will forever name nameless uh, said that the book was very cosy, mild, and really rubbish. And that destroyed me. It really mm. robbed me of a lot of uh, self worth and. Uh, confidence I had uh, in writing, so I went bugger it. I'll just name the uh, the story, uh, the collection after his uh, review. So for hopefully cosy male stories for nervous types. But it has one of my favourite short stories in it, uh, Aldebra, which is a sequel to uh, M. R. James's A Warning to the Curious, mm-hmm. and I got uh, Roger Clark, Richard Dolby, and Reggie Oliver. Uh, who know a lot about M.R. James and, you know, were fixing his life. Richard Dobby sadly died. But they did extensive reworks, not rewriting it, but, you know, picking me up on mistakes I made and, you know, kind of things about James that I hadn't gotten right. And everybody who's read that story says it captures... The Mr. James sense of dread, and that's you know that's me happy. And also an introduction by Stephen Volk, who yes, who did go to Gothic, Ghostwatch, Whitstable. Just Um, to be able to have somebody like that who believes in your writing is quite is quite something. So yeah. So we've, we've run out of time. we didn't have time to talk about an odor of decay uh, when three sisters bequeathed an old empty house. They decide house. to move in and make it their home, innocent of the hint of menace that lurks there. So uh, we'll put up the cover for that. Two lovely covers for H.P. Uh, Lovecraft books. Again, I think probably the late fifties, early sixties. Yeah. Avon Publishing. We didn't talk about the Encyclopedia of Witchcraft and Demonology. Love Machine, which is my favourite cover of any book you Doesn't have. Doesn't that look like Cameron Diaz on the well, front there? Love Machine is just it's. It, <laughs> had the strangest shot of a a woman it's kind of a a painting of a woman with a poodle and a man with a camera it's by Douglas D Cassie Kane had her own television show she was America's girlfriend she was married to a handsome international film star anyone who didn't know her would have said she was a girl with a world on a string but her husband was in Europe. Anyway, so that's all that. So, I'm finally and, uh, Twisted Clay. Twisted Clay, which I'm going to be reading uh, soon by Frank Walford, a, a, a book that you rediscovered. Yeah. Um, so uh, that is... Uh, she loved and killed both men and women. She was utterly beautiful and utterly mad. And uh, that is from Remains Publishing yeah, as well. Yeah, that was my imprint. Twisted Clay. only did Clay. one book. <laughs> Twisted 
twisted clay. Brilliant. Loads more to talk yeah. about the horror. Nothing but night. That you have a beautiful copy of the first ever uh, pan, uh, the the pan book of tales of the supernatural with a Mervyn Peake cover. We'll put all of these things up online for you to have a look at. Um, Johnny Mains. Uh, I I'll tell you what. I was going to say we'll, we'll do another interview when you finish the freaks book, but I imagine we'll find probably do something next decade as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. And go and look up all Johnny Mains' work and go online to Cosmic Shambles where you will also find uh, pictures of a lot of the books that we have talked about and they have wonderfully lurid covers. Bye-bye. Thanks very much for listening. Thanks for your support via Patreon and coming to our live shows and all that sort of stuff. Uh, new episode next week uh, with everyone backstage at Nine Lessons. Robin and Josie and uh, Tim Peake, Chris Hadfield, Helen Chersky, uh, Beck Hill, lots of people on that one. Until then, have a great week, a great Christmas, and we will be back soon next week. In fact, very soon. Although eight days technically. Normally it's seven, eight days this time because this is out on a Wednesday. Factual. You cannot go wrong with that. Uh, Have a great week. This podcast is part of the Cosmic Shambles Network. Josie Robbins' book Shambles was produced by Trent Burton of Trunkman Productions.